Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10, and we'll read through to verse 20, and then Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. Let us pray together as we turn to God's word. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for your anointing to be upon your word. Lord, for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, both, Lord, to speak and also to hear your word. Lord, as we pray every week, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say unto the church. Lord, for your help today, we ask and we believe that you're in the midst. You're working among us. You're here to do a great work. Lord, may we be pliable and willing. May you do it, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said it, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. It came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her, her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor straw drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And he said, Let thine handmaid find grace. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. And so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him, of the Lord. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word in Zechariah 4 and verse 6. It says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In verse 17 of our reading this morning, Eli answered and said, Go in peace. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. We thank God this morning for our great and our high priest. The answer of all our prayers comes on the basis of our great and our high priest, that is Jesus Christ. He has entered into heaven on our behalf with his own blood the blood of an everlasting covenant, and there he maketh intercession for the saints. In Hebrews 4, and we have read this many times, in verse 14, 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Eli was an imperfect man. He was the high priest. But Jesus is perfect. The great high priest. And all prayers that are answered are answered on the basis of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. As Hannah wept and cried, it was the high priest Eli, though flawed, answered her request. The church of Jesus Christ is God's, belongs to him. It's the bride of Christ. He loves the church. We looked at it some weeks ago. It's the church that he gave himself for. In Ephesians 5 and 26, it says that he would sanctify it. He would cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he will present to himself a glorious church having not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he died for. That's what he gave himself for. That's what he loves. It's his. The church is being made ready for the married supper of the Lamb. Made ready is a supernatural sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It is not a work of man. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 19 and 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride or the wife has made herself ready. Are we ready? Are we ready this morning? I think you would all agree with me. That we believe there needs to be a great work. A great work. A great supernatural Holy Ghost sanctifying work. Done in the bride to make her ready. When Hannah cried, God heard her. The condition of her heart was essential to the intervention. I'm just going to speak this morning on when God remembers, when God remembers, when the church truly begins by the Holy Spirit to cry unto the Lord, God will not only hear us, but friends, I can tell you this morning on the basis and the authority of God's word, he will hear and answer. I listened to a program uh, just a day or two ago on the Ulster Revival, and I just picked up something. Prior to the Ulster Revival, we had the Irish famine, the Great Famine, back in the 40s and the 50s. And in the 1840s and 1850s, there was a great famine. Famine has no respecter of religion, Catholic or Protestant. And famine swept this island. There was over... Between 1 and 1.5 million people that perished in the famine. 
About a million people or more emigrated from these shores back and then uh, Ireland in its totality, which was under the British rule, had a population of about 8.5 to 9 million people after the famine had, had dropped away down to 6 million. It says across the counties of Ulster, between 15 and 30 percent, right across all of Ireland, uh, it's a myth to say that it didn't come to the north because we were Protestant, that's not true. But between 15 and 30 percent of people, regardless of whether you were a Protestant or a Catholic, it was the poor. There was poor Protestants and there was poor Catholics. It was the hierarchy, of course, that survived the Protestant hierarchy in the north and the landowners across Ireland who were put in place by the British establishment, which caused great grievance amongst the Catholic people, which you can understand. But when the famine struck, the famine struck the Protestant poor and the Catholic poor. Between 1 and 1.5 million souls perished at that time. This is the backdrop of the Great Ulster Awakening. Between 15 and 30% of each county lost. Between 15 to 30% of the population perished. If you think about that, that's 3 in 10. In the Friars Bush Cemetery in Belfast, the Plaguey Hill, they say there's 2,000 people that are buried there as a direct result of the, the famine. Thousands of people. If you think of it, maybe say there's near, I'm not sure, including everyone, there's 100 here this morning. Can you imagine 30 people in this congregation perished? That's the backdrop of the Great Awakening often not mentioned. We were living in a time where there was a land that had been ravished with famine and plague. Households had been completely ravished with, with a famine. We have a famine today. We have a famine today. It's not a famine of food. We have food in abundance. It's not a famine of material possessions. We're well and truly blessed. It's a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. And so in the backdrop of that great awakening in Ulster in 1859, the spirit of the Lord began to move. We are in a backdrop today of a tragedy of a war that lasted 40 years. Thousands have been maimed and murdered and plunged into a lost eternity. Duncan, Duncan Campbell prophesied, and the full prophecy is there for you to read. But there will be rats. But after rats, there'll be revival. We're waiting on that revival. But it is coming. What will attract God this morning to this house? What attracts Him to visit His people? What is it this morning that will enact God to rend the heavens above? What will attract him amongst us? What is it that brings him down? What is it that causes him to manifest his presence in revival power like we have never seen or witnessed before? What is it that God will look for when he looks over the balconies of heaven, if you like, and when he looks upon us this morning, what is it will attract him? 
right down into the midst of his people and revival power would break out amongst us? Will it be the preacher's great words? No. Will it be how great or wonderful we sing? No. And thank God for that. Will it be the great abilities that we have or the talents that we possess? No. But what will attract the Almighty to come down? The Bible tells us, if you turn to it, please, if you're familiar with it, just turn to it anyway. In Isaiah 57, in verse 15, it says these words, Isaiah 57 and verse 15, For thus saith the High and the Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and in the holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive. I need revival. I need revival. This is what he's looking for, friend. The spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's the broken. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2, the prophet Isaiah says, For all those things has mine hand made, and those things have been, saith the Lord. Now God's looking. Now God's looking. But to this man or to this woman will I look even to him that is a poor and of a contrite spirit and he trembleth he trembleth at my word. What blocks the hearing of God's word? When the psalmist says in Psalm 34 and verse 2, The humble shall hear. The humble shall hear. I want to say it again because we can't be hard of hearing. The humble shall hear. And be glad. If ever we, I, you are living in a day where the ear needs to be unblocked, it's today. The blockage of the ear, the spiritual ear, happens when there's pride in the heart. The humble here, the humble here, and they're glad. If ever we needed an operation of the Holy Ghost, a heart operation, to unblock the hearing, it's today. What will attract them to our gathering? What will attract them? 
What's going to bring him down today, saints? What's going to cause him to move today? That Tim McElrath produces some special word? No. Now we sing some special song. Are there some type of special prayer? No. What's going to attract God to this house today is a broken heart. I'm not talking about me trying to make myself broken. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to create something where God delivers from our own emotional activity, but there will be emotion. There was emotion in the 1859 revival that caused many to reject the revival. Actually, when we hold the Shankill mission by the grace of God in the church that's called the Nelson Memorial Church, Isaac Nelson called the 1859 revival the year of delusion. The year of delusion. He missed the revival. Is it an accident that we'll stand there in a few weeks' time by the grace of God and our cry will be, Lord, send revival. What you did in 59, do it in 2018. God's eyes, Second Chronicles 16 and 9 says, His eyes, His eyes, you know God has eyes? His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong in the behalf of those heart that is perfect, complete. Or do you know what the word means? That is friendly. That's friendly towards him. How can we be friendly with God? It's your humility of heart. I want to show you something, friend. Ball in a hinge. I'm not pointing the finger and I'm not in any way, elevating us above anybody else, but I want you to listen. Ballina Hinch has been ravished, ravished, ravished. I'm talking about the church, has been ravished. I've only been here 13 years. We, we are the new kids on the block, I suppose, in some way, because they've been here 300 years, as I've been told. But it has been ravished, and I believe it's a picture and a type of most of the north of Ireland it has been ravished by the devour. I want to show you how that happens. And if you or I or anyone in this room thinks that could not happen here, you're deceived. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to show you exactly how it happens. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, this is what it says. 1 Peter 5 and 5. Likewise, 1 Peter 5 and 5, I'll wait the older, 1 Peter 5 and 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace who to? The humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now watch. Now watch. Because the next verse tells us exactly what happens if we refuse to humble ourselves. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I tell you, friends, I'm not here to glorify Satan or to give him anything this morning, but I want to tell you, he has done a good job in the churches in the north of Ireland. Submit yourselves to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? You want to be a friend of God, but God resists the proud. I closed last week with a word. It was prophetic. And I want to just mention it again. The great lack of humility, these are my closing words, is not a look on our face. It's a condition of our heart. Submission to one another. Accountability. I fear an outpouring would be almost over before it started because man is desiring revival for his own spiritual superiority and elevation, while such stubbornness and spiritual pride resides in the church today. It is biblically impossible to see a revival without a deep hard work in the church. But revival is coming. But many with such spiritual pride will miss what they claim they've lived for. God, help us. Help us. God is about to respond to the cry of Hannah. I believe Hannah is the type of the church of Jesus Christ. He's about to respond. Friend, you hear me this morning. God is going to respond. God will remember his church. God will remember the remnant. Just like he remembered Hannah, he is going to remember his bride. The cry, and friends, I want to tell you, I heard Hannah's prayer. I heard it in the midst of a Monday night prayer meeting. I heard her cry. It's, it's in the heart. It's not so much her words. It's not so much how at all, but the cry in the spirit and the groan of God. And God's about to respond. Listen, God's about to respond. When he responds, it's not by might, nor is it by power. But as by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The deity, the deity of the Holy Ghost is very important. Deity means the divine status of God, the Holy Ghost. We understand that the Godhead is one, consisting of three persons revealed in Scripture as the Father, and the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is no optional extra. Would we even suggest this morning that we don't need the Father? Would we even dare suggest that the Son is optional? Why is it that we've come to a day where in some way or another, or in practice or in deed, that He, the Holy Spirit, is not an essential? Let me tell you, friends, this morning, we need the Holy Ghost. We need Him in our lives. We need Him in our homes. And we need Him in His church. Jesus made it clear concerning the deity of the Holy Ghost in Matthew 12. If you would turn to it for a moment. Matthew 12 and verse 31. This is what Jesus said concerning the Holy Ghost. Matthew 12 and 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be given unto men. But blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Friends, we are on holy ground. When God moves, whether to create, to intervene, to protect, to enable, to guide, to sustain, to execute the purpose of God, it's not by might, nor is it by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want, to, I want you to help yourself this morning in this message. Because I know that I'm bringing, and I say this humbly, but I've meticulously gone over this message and say, God, remove everything in this message that's me and put everything in this message that's you. I want you to hear carefully. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. For the church to function with its chiefest aim, that is to glorify the Son, John 16, 14, this can only and exclusively be accomplished not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. When God responded to the anguish of the soul of Hannah, when God remembered Hannah, her womb would be open, not by might, nor by power, but by the Holy Ghost. It was a supernatural intervention of Almighty God. When God remembered Hannah, could I encourage you, saint, this morning? There are Hannahs in this room, male and female. It's a spiritual condition I'm talking about. There's a cry in the depths of the heart. There's an anguish of soul. There's a cry before the throne of God. Sometimes it does not come out audibly. Sometimes it is not something that is spoken. But let me tell you, it is a groan in the spirit. 
And God will remember you. When God responds to that anguish, when God remembers Hannah, her womb would be opened by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, if you would turn to it, because the principle that's found in creation runs the whole way through this whole book. In Genesis 1 and 1, it simply says, in the beginning, God. Just God. He is eternal. He is the eternal one. He is the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity. Now God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, just in Genesis 1, but in John 1, all things were made by Him, that's Jesus, and without Him was nothing, not, not anything made that was made. What brought about the will and the purpose of God is the operation of the Holy Spirit that brought the wills through the Son of God into being. It's impossible to divide the Holy Spirit from the, His divine status and purpose in the Godhead. I'm going somewhere with it if you stay with me because it's important. In Genesis 1 and 2, it says that the earth was without form, a void, darkness was on the face of the deep, the Spirit of God hovered or moved upon the face of the waters. He's fluttering. He hovers over the great deep. Can I tell you, friend, this morning, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the great deep in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 is the same Holy Ghost that's hovered over this congregation this morning. If that doesn't cause you, because it causes me, to stop for a moment. What are you looking for? What is he looking for? Is he looking, Tim, for a great sermon? No. Is he looking for a cry and a broken heart and a contrite spirit that says, God, help us. psalmist says, Thou sendest forth thy spirit. Psalm 104 and 30. They are created. And thou renewest the face of the earth. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We have somehow come to a tradition in the church that we need, yes, the Father. Yes, we need the Son without Him. Nothing was made that was made. But the Holy Spirit, somehow, in the tradition of the church and of man, is not necessary for the believer to function today. We've excluded Him, the Holy Spirit, from our programs, from our churches, from our individual walks, from our missions. He's an option today. I know we're going in across a lot of denominational divides, a lot of traditional backgrounds, but friends, I tell you, we need the Holy Ghost. He's an option for the saint. Get saved, sit in the seat, and everything's fine. No, get saved and get full of the Holy Ghost and serve Jesus. 
If anything of the purpose of God is to be established and accomplished and the Son, Jesus Christ, to be glorified and the church is truly to be the habitation of God and she is to move forward and make an impact on this world through and by the preaching of the gospel, the cross of Christ, it cannot be in word only. It must be by the Spirit of the living God. When the church moved out in Acts chapter 13, when they're about to spread beyond the realms of Jerusalem, as they ministered unto the Lord and they fasted, the Holy Ghost said, The Holy Ghost said, The Holy Ghost speaks. They were sent by exclusively and enabled and empowered, not by might, nor by power, but by the Holy Ghost. How many would be able to say that the Holy Ghost speak and the Holy Ghost has sent me? 1 Corinthians 2 and 4, Paul went with the power of the Holy Spirit and said, My speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The church moved in and functioned, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. How we are ripe for a move of the Holy Ghost. How we are ripe for a move of the Holy Ghost. In the midst of all the razzmatazz, never before do I believe that we are ripe like we are today for a move of the Holy Spirit. Technology, friends, and whatever we can use it for, that's fine. But technology is not going to do it. Social media is not going to do it. Attractive and appealing presentations are not going to do it. Great methods and schemes and organizations within the church is not going to do it. It's not by might, nor is it by power, but it is by my Spirit, saith the Lord. From creation right through, the manifestations, the unity, and the harmony of the Godhead at work. Types and shadows are revealed. Men upon whom the Spirit of the Lord came upon to accomplish the will of God supernaturally. I was meditating on Noah, Noah just a couple of days ago and it says that God shut the door. How'd that happen? i tell you how it happened. Not by might, nor by power, but the Holy Spirit closed the door in that ark. And the Holy Ghost is going to close the door in time when Jesus bursts through the clouds very soon with all the saints that have died in Christ and all the saints of glory. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to gather everyone that who's born of the Spirit up into the sky to meet Jesus. Not by might, nor by power. How is that going to happen? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We see through it all Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, 
the Spirit of the Lord upon them. Moses as the mediator of an old covenant. Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant. But when they were going to get to that place, and Moses was leading that people, they took the Spirit of Moses, and they put it on 70 elders. Let me tell you, friends, I'm not Moses. It's Jesus who's the mediator of a new covenant, and the same Holy Ghost that's upon Jesus as the same Holy Ghost that should be upon us. Whether it be Moses or the 70 elders or Joshua or Caleb or even the workers in the tabernacle. That's the workers in the house of God. Turn to Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. I'm going to work for Jesus. I'm going to clean in God's house. I'm going to serve on the tables. I'm going to go on an outreach. I'm going to lead a Bible class or a Sunday school. I'm going to drive the bus for the lighthouse. I'm going to lead worship. I'm going to play the piano. I'm going to play the organ. I'm going to play the guitar. I'm even going to play the tambourine. i tell you what you need for it. You need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're taking us to the extreme. I'm going to tell you, friends, there wasn't one person that was going to function in the workmanship of that house could not be there unless they had the Holy Ghost. Exodus 31 and 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have called by name Beaziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Verse 3. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Brothers and sisters, do we see it this morning? In that earthly tabernacle, which was a type of the heavenly, and in the new covenant, we are the habitation of God, the tabernacle of God. Everyone that's going to work in that house had to be anointed and had to be full of the Holy Ghost. In the book of Judges, we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. That is a phrase that you'll find in the book of Judges often. And one of the significant characters of the book of Judges is a man called Samson. If you turn to Judges 13 and verse 24, Judges 13, 24, he was supernaturally born, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Verse 24 says, And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtiol. In chapter 14 and verse 6, now look at this for a moment. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And look at this next phrase. He had nothing in his hand. He had nothing in his hand. I want to tell you and ask you this morning, friends, what have we got in our hands? If ever the church materially was equipped and their hands are full, it's today, isn't it? We have everything in our hand. But you see, I want to tell you, friend, when the Holy Ghost comes, there's nothing in our hands. We have nothing in our hands. It's no longer us doing it, trying it, or manipulating it, or, or trying to work something to, together for us. There's nothing in His hand. And Judges 15 and verse 14, speaking of His hands again, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. 
The cords that were upon his arm became as flax that it was burned with fire and his bands were loosed from off his hands and the church has been called to loose the bands of the wicked. Friends, we need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. Samuel went into the house of Jesse. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13. He takes a horn of oil. Nurse standing before him as a shepherd boy. A man after the very heart of God. It says that Samuel took the horn of oil. Anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Then it says these words. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day and forward. Can I tell you, friend, we need, we need the Holy Ghost. Is there not giants in our nation, in our land, in our streets, in our homes, in our families? Is there not giants all around us? And the only answer, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. There is an exhaustive study on the symbols of the Old Testament concerning the Holy Spirit, wind, water, fire, oil, and so on, all speaking of the Holy Spirit. When there's no way forward at the Red Sea and the wind begins to blow, I want to tell you who opened the Red Sea. It was the Holy Ghost. When there's no water in the midst of a desert and that rock is symbolizing Christ, and when that rock is smitten and that water flows out, I want to tell you that water is the Holy Ghost. When the nation is backslidden, when it's a led to an age, when everyone's doing what they think is right, when they don't even know our own nakedness, that we're poor and we're wretched and we're blind and we cannot hear, I tell you what the answer always is in a backslidden day. It's always the fire of the Holy Ghost. When Elijah stands on Mount Carmel and Israel are halt between two opinions and the prophets of Baal and all the demonic hosts are ravishing the nation just like Ulster today. I want to tell you what the answer is. It's the fire of God. Oh God, when the Spirit of God begins to move, some will get upset. Some will not be happy manifestations of the Spirit of God in the 1859 revival caused an awful lot of people to get upset. Good old Presbyterians began to shake in the pews. Men began to weep uncontrollably. On 112th of July, 600 orange men threw their collarettes off, fell to their knees in repentance and cried out to God. People were drunk in the Spirit. Some rejoiced, laughed and shouted. Presbyterians, friends, Presbyterians, God help us this morning when we have an aim across this door that we're Pentecostal. Then they began to shake when the fear of God came. They began to cry out. Some, it seemed as though they were drunk in the spirit. They had to be helped home. They couldn't walk. Presbyterians, brothers and sisters. Great repentance, great tears, great weeping, but great opposition. It's not by might. It's not by power. I tell you, friends, when the Holy Ghost comes in revival, it's going to stir the devil's nest, and the religious will not be happy. 
We need the fire of God. And Jesus was born of a virgin. Can I tell you, friends, it wasn't by might, nor was it by power, but it was by the Holy Ghost. Working in unison in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he was put in the womb of a virgin called Mary. Now as he stands in the River Jordan, about 30 years old, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Godhead, bodily in our Lord, God Almighty who inhabits eternity, contracted into a human form, and the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And he says, who it abides upon, the same is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When he sent out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10 and 1 to do the work of God, he gave them power against all unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manners of sickness and all manners of disease. The work of God can never be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. Greater still, Jesus gave the promise of the Father in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Would you turn to it? I know you know it so well. We need to go beyond having a verse in our head and having the reality of the verse in our life. In Acts 1 and 8, he said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And you move in the Acts chapter 2, exactly what the Lord said came to pass when the Holy Ghost came down in an upper room with 120 people and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. 600 million Pentecostals across this globe today can trace their roots back to a dusty, dirty floor in Azusa Street where a man who was blind in one eye, a black man who wasn't even allowed in the Bible school, prayed to God and the power of the Holy Ghost came down and one wee woman sitting one day began to feel the river of God flowing through her and speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Oh my God, we have lost so much. Oh, I'm not sure about the tongues. I am. God, why have we forsaken and given up so much, lost so much? And why we play the games of religion and the what-fors and the what-abouts? The devil ravishes our land and makes a mockery of the people of God. As they said in the day of the prophet, where is your God? Sovereignly, God gave the Holy Ghost. Humbly, He was received and depended upon. And can I tell you, friends, the sovereign act of the baptism in the Holy Ghost is still in the book and it's still available this morning. The Bible tells us it shall come to pass afterward. I'll pour my Spirit out upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
Old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. Also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. When's it stopped? When did it stop? Maybe we should ask this morning, not when did it stop, but why? But why? We're gathered here to worship the great, the almighty God, to remember his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Ephesians 2 and 22 says, we're building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. How can we have a habitation without the Holy Ghost? Jesus said, the hour has come, now is. And true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, this morning, if you get uncomfortable, sometimes, sometimes some do, thinking that this in some way undermines the Son this cannot be further from the truth. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Can't happen. Well, we're not into that Holy Ghost stuff. I am. We well, don't want it to be too extreme. I do. Yeah, but we have had all that charismaniac stuff. That's fine. But they're still the real. If you think we're here for a counterfeit move, God, keep our faces, Stephen, on the floor. Keep our hearts broken before you. I tell you, friends, we need the Holy Ghost. The cry of Hannah is the cry of the remnant church. Let me tell you what that cry is like. Let me tell you what it's like. It's broken. It's broken. It's contrition. It's clothed in humility. And then God moves. He energizes. He infuses, he enables, he fills, he strengthens, he endues, he comforts, he guides, he teaches, and he glorifies Jesus through our lives. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. How about Tim, we know that? That's our problem. We have everything up here. We have it all. But it's here. It's here. It's here, friend. It's not up here. It's down here. 
we can miss it all by 12 inches. We can miss it all by 12 inches. Jesus, we pray, grant our petition. Make the womb of friends, just want to close, as walking down the corridor in the royal. In every room I'm passing, there's a cry of a wee newborn. And I said to Nicky, God, what would it be like when the womb of the church is fruitful? Every room, there's a cry of a wee baby. You want to open the door, you're not allowed. You want to open the door and... Those women labored for days sometimes for that wee baby to come out. When you hold, you know what it's like when you hold a newborn baby in your hands and you look at that, you go, God, that's a miracle. See, for this to happen spiritually, friends, let me tell you, listen to me. Let me tell you, God is looking for broken people. Not just broken. I can remember our kids used to come in. They were broken. Crying their eyes out because they didn't get their way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm broken. No, you're just broken because you're not getting your way. But broken in spirit. It's a work of the Holy Ghost. It's a work of the Holy Ghost. It's when God's people get before him and say, God, see whatever it takes here. Or we need a move of God. We need a revival. Do you know why? We need it. They need no, I need it. It's humbleness. Clothed with humility. It's a broken and a contrite heart. It's the Spirit speaking. Do you hear him? What did you hear? Him say, what did you hear? I didn't hear anything. I'm just going on. Did you hear him? The humble shall hear. The humble are going to be glad. We need the Holy Ghost. Would you pray with me this morning?